Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today is someone who uh, y- you may know from uh, Fem Street, but we're going to talk about both her work in, in running that and also her day job as a really successful venture capitalist, uh, Sarah Knuckles. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you're in London. Um, what, is the, what does it feel like over there these days? Yeah, good vibes now this week. I think we're getting that back out there into, you know, restaurants and, and socializing next week. So I think it's going to be a good time and things are fine. And are you guys worried about all these variants or do you feel like the UK has kind of turned the corner and you can you can relax a little bit? I'm not worried too much anymore. I'm from Germany originally and I think the press is like really scaring off people, but um, I'm ready to travel. And then do you think it's interesting, if it, are there people in London saying, Oh, if we had remained in the EU, we would be in the same kind of messy vaccine situation. Probably, right? This is probably the first time where people have said, oh, it was good not to be part of it. Oh, I certainly am happy about it. But, um, you know, it showed actually that it's it's not as great always to be part of a big ship. Right. It felt like the first time it was maybe if if you were a, a pro-Brexit person, uh, some, some vindication. But... Um, no, for sure. E- e- either way, uh, things are better, and that's good. Um, so your your day job is your North Zone, North Zone Capital, which is a, a London-based venture fund. Walk us through a little bit, just kind of the how long you guys have been around, how many funds, AUM, stage, check size, all that stuff. Yeah, we've been around for 25 years, actually celebrating our anniversary this this year. Um, started off originally investing in the Nordics and expanded quickly into the rest of Europe. We've raised nine funds and have about 1.5 billion of AUM now. Last fund was $500 million when we're investing from C to Series B out of this fund. We're generalist funds, so pretty diverse portfolio on the fintech side or consumer social enterprise software. I'm mainly focused, again, across Europe and then also the East Coast US where we have a team and one of our partners, Wendy. How does the kind of culture of startups differ from those you invest in in Europe compared to the US? And then even within Europe, um, are, are there different yeah. kinds of subcultures? Yeah, I think, I mean, there are definitely subcultures. I think um, the geography is maybe more or less now a meaningless filter and founders have incredibly large ambitions and want to build global businesses from day one. And I think they also want investors to support that, that mission. And it's no longer just about creating, you know, a local leader. It's really about getting out there and in expanding into the US or into other markets quickly. So I think the founder mentality, especially in Europe, has changed a lot. Obviously, it's been easier quite often for U.S. founders to start off there because it's just an incredibly large market. Right. Um, and, and you pretty much in all, all cases, everything you're investing in, you're assuming that if it succeeds, it's either moving across the ocean one way or the other. Right. Yeah, probably. Exactly. I mean, that's uh, we want to invest in, you know large businesses, that usually means, you know, $10 billion plus um, outcomes, at least, if not bigger. So, um, and and I think Europe has proven to create incredibly large outcomes. If you look into our portfolio, we now counted, I think, seven new unicorns to our portfolio in the last year. I mean, you know, we're early backers of Spotify. They obviously got to like a 50 billion, I think, market cap. Then we have Klarna as well, uh, which is like at about 30 billion. 
then we backed Hopin actually at the seed stage, which is more than five billion now with yeah. one point five years. So I think you know, there are you know founders who are able to get to really large outcomes quickly, and and the market is also reflecting that and and obviously fueling a lot of money in, into early stage um, businesses now. Are there particular sectors that you like focusing on and investing in? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm specifically focused on seed or everything early stage. The definition of seed has obviously changed also over, over the time. General, we're, we've are we always been strong on, on fintech. Um, that's an important angle for us. The second one is about consumer social and commerce. And then the third one where I spend a lot of my time on is more about data, but also infrastructure or everything with like a community-led go-to-market, since that's something I understand pretty well from, from my FemState work and um, can be very much of help for everything that, yeah, regarding to developer-focused and community-building efforts that companies have to make in the early days. Yeah. And um, yes, that's about it. But I mean, we're, we're always excited about um, everything I think our founders um, want to build and, and don't want to limit ourselves to specific vertical. I think it depends really on, on the teams in the end we want to back and, and their bigger mission. And every company, you know, is also going through different journeys. I, I think they're, they're not always starting out or ending up in an area they, they might have originally um, set off or set out to, um, you know, more or less every company is a fintech company at some point as well. So I think it's important to have different perspective and, and different knowledge and a generalist perspective from a consumer and B2B angle. And what's your sense? I mean, we primarily invest in Series A and we're seeing round sizes get really big, right? Like, you know, yeah. people putting down $100 million valuations and term sheets for, for a Series A company. Um, what are you seeing on the seed side and it, same experience in Europe in terms of the explosion of valuation? Yeah, crazy. I think it's... Uh... Seed is no longer just, you know, one or two million rounds. Founders are skipping pre-seeds going into three to five million rounds easily. Two weeks ago, I looked into an eight million Series A round. Um, I think that's the new normal and it's probably not going to, to change a lot. We've also seen incredibly strong teams out there that are more experienced with a depth of network and, you know, can hire more aggressively and just execute faster. But generally, I think it also reflects the market conditions and there's a lot of dry powder out there and, and, and funds are keen to invest early without any indication of success or, or metrics. So that's just the market. And the question is whether how long it's going to be like that. But we're seeing the same at the growth level where we have obviously a lot of number of larger funds in the market and likes of Tiger and Core 2 and who are incredibly active. And I think Tiger has done about 60 deals this year already. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, I, the, the thing that always worries me a bit, although I guess like you, because we invest pretty early, it doesn't, it's not as much of our problem, but, um, the, you know, do the private valuations make sense in public markets, right? And, you know, what I worry about a bit is, you know, people in our industry have different reasons for agreeing to certain valuations. And they're not always solely based on, hey, if this were a public company, what would somebody pay for this right now? You know, it's based on either my fund size is X, so I have to write this many checks at this amount of money, or I haven't won a deal in a while, so I've just got to pay whatever it takes to get this one. Um, how much when you're making investments as early as seed, um, do, do you worry about kind of whether or not the ultimate trajectory that that company takes is unsustainable um, once it becomes public? Yeah, I think at a seed level, probably not much of a question. I think it's series A, B, yeah. we're thinking about this a lot more. 
you know, on the seed side, I don't think we have been incredibly valuation sensitive. Uh, we care more about getting a first stake and then building it out over time. And in the end, what maybe matters is the dollar invested uh, versus, you know, percentage you own. Um, so we haven't seen much kind of like impact on our returns, I think, on the fund side yet. So I think so far it's been actually good for us. Um, but, you know, we're not really active on the Series B, C side, or I think as aggressively as as before probably. But um, getting in, I think, applying more dollars early has certainly helped us. And are you, are you seeing portfolio companies go public now via SPAC or is that more of a U.S. craze? It's been more of a U.S. I think phenomenon. Not hasn't happened so much in Europe yet, but we're seeing, I think, a number of companies getting pushed out there that are supposedly starting to generate revenue, I think, in you know in two years. I think there was this um, funny article online that a number of SPACs we've seen, they're all starting to generate revenues in like 2024. 20, um, but um, yeah, it's not been something that most founders in Europe, I think, are seeking as their liquidity event. And how much do you think founders in Europe, as, as when they're looking to ultimately go public, uh, are, are now embracing kind of a direct listing as opposed to a traditional IPO? <sighs> yeah, I think a traditional IPO has still been, um, you know, the preferred route. Um, first of all, I think the number of IPOs we're actually seeing here is has still like been limited. I think it's just you know the, the pace in the U.S. is just a lot like bigger, um, and it also depends on on the good company kind of like on, on its profile. I think direct listing obviously is a lot more. Pref- I mean, it's it's great if you actually don't need the cash if you have an incredible brand as well and don't need to go shopping around. So I think it, it really depends on the company profiles we are creating here in Europe and and then the outcomes and we're also seeing a lot of uh, mergers happening actually in the market or we always have and and there was this big questions of you know the outcomes we can create but I think given that we you know we've proven that we can I think we will probably increasingly see more different or founders considering different options um, depending on also the let's say, the profitability of, of the business um, and so so Beyond all of this, you then decided to start an entirely another life at the same time. So yeah. ha- ha- tell me about Fem Street. How'd you decide to do it and ha- how'd you get it off the ground? Yeah, it was back in 2017 when I was still working at a French company. I was building two different markets for them or expanding into geos. And then just realized the proliferation of content out there. There was a really good newsletter called Metamark Daily in the US and they had to shut down back then and they featured a lot of great content from an investor and operator perspective every day and I thought there must be something out there that is just uh, doing the same from a female lens and featuring women building businesses or investing in companies couldn't find it myself and I just uh, created it and this was a big start of of Femme Street and quickly grew into a a bigger audience especially in the US about 60% of our readers are in the US and uh, and then over the years, I started to do a number of events, um, also moved into a created an online community. And uh, yeah, it just uh, got a lot bigger. And I think we're no longer just a newsletter. It's more or less just a community now. And the whole idea obviously behind is that women are still deeply underrepresented across the whole tech ecosystem. They're just not lacking the access to capital, but also the, the right resources um, and access to decision makers and peers globally. 
And uh, we're really here to, to amplify the female voices out there, accelerate their success and just create a culture where women are actually leading and shaping and, and, and funding yeah, the future of tech. How do you think kind of things have over the last few years? It felt like maybe, you know, with with Ellen Ma and, and her her lawsuit and, and the Me Too movement, there was sort of a moment yeah. of awareness of hey, there's a huge gender disparity uh, in people who work in venture, in investments, in startups. Um, it, we're a few years away from that now. Where are we? Have things gotten better, or has it just kind of gone back to where it was? I think it's, we have moved forward. We've seen a lot more women in leadership position at venture firms. We have seen a lot more women in leadership position at tech companies. Uh, you know, some companies made it, or NASDAQ even made it mandatory to have female leaders on, on the boards. So I think, you know, things are definitely moving into the right direction, but we still have a long way to go if we actually look into the numbers of women getting funded. There are different reasons why that's happening and why it's such a slow process. It's probably more of a 15 to 20 year process and not something we can just change within five years. Um, and, um, and I think we need new platforms or voices out there that are actually supporting women. I think it's not been easy for existing communities and we've seen a number of communities also fail. There aren't that many places out there actually that have successfully managed to to make it happen for, for women at a sustainable level, I think, for the companies or communities themselves to to survive, I think, especially during the pandemic. So the places where it is working in a sustainable way, what are they doing differently and right that everyone else is not doing? Yeah. So, I mean, just from a Femme Street perspective, uh, what we have done, I focused really early on not just building an audience, but actually focused on community and then the brand building and just creating a sense of belonging. And um, I think that was really important. Uh, we started out in 2019 with a number of offline events across different cities. Earlier that year, we also launched a Slack channel where thousands of people actually joined pretty, pretty early. And then we had a huge wait list. And we, I think what we have witnessed now in the ecosystem is just a huge shift towards this whole post-social media area defined just by more niche and also gated communities of interests and purpose. And uh, in 2019, I realized that I probably have to move into that and decided to create more of a gated community and, and launch a membership associated to, to Femme Street, which has been for us um, a key to success. Because in the end, if you monetize, and most of the communities out there have to monetize somehow through events, for example, I don't think it's been very sustainable or successful for most of the companies out there. It means to, if you want to monetize, it means you have to develop a really value-added strategies in line with the readership's expectations. And existing communities out there, they had to pivot heavily because they didn't have a very engaged, active online community prior to the pandemic as well. And uh, they were mainly offline or making money through events. And um, and it's hard to engage a community, actually, if you've been, I think, offline first and you want to bring it online. I actually think that it's a lot easier bringing an online relationship into real life and it's a more exciting opportunity than digitizing in real life relationships. So I think that was definitely a big 
yeah, kind of like a big factor for a lot of communities out there. There was Girlboss that actually no longer exists. It was pretty big on social media, actually, and we're running a few events. The Wing, I think probably the most prominent one out there, which was crazy big, I think, in different cities, raised a lot of money and was, I think, great to some extent. And then the pandemic hit and they had a really amazing online community, but it just wasn't sustainable anymore for for the company to... Um, and then last week we've actually seen, or they announced that Girls Night In, which is also a very successful newsletter that had a community had to close their virtual membership because it was just not scalable and they couldn't really operationally run it because it got so big, which I think is also very interesting and speaking again for more niche and high quality and curated communities. Um, so you obviously have a good sense of, of your members. Um, now that we're in a world where people are starting to get vaccinated, starting to come back to the office, what's your sense overall of kind of what your members want to do and, and kind of how do you think at least their patterns of working are going to change in a post-COVID world? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there will be this hybrid setup that I think is needed to to sustain and people want to meet other people. So I think there is going to be some part that will be online still but i think offering people to meet in real life is is great but i think the other door that actually opened during the last year was that people from anywhere in the world could connect where we actually as a fem street might not actually physically be present so when we are doing our monthly networking events we have people join from texas new york san francisco Mm -hmm. dallas london italy you know, sometimes even Australia, if they can make it work, but usually not because of the time zone challenges. But that's actually incredible. And I, you know, I'm not going to run, I think, a global event series now around the world, but I'm just going to be targeted on the main city hubs. So I think people want a full on experience, which makes it so hard for 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 communities. In the end, we, we, we still have a newsletter that we're running on a weekly basis. So I think it's it's important to to to, to capture the audience with on, on different channels and engage them in, in different ways. What's your kind of sense of like, how do you, where does this go? Like does Fem Street become your full-time job at some point? Does it turn into kind of its own venture back startup or yeah. it, how, how do you, how are you thinking about it? Yeah. I think the venture back route is a really tough one in that space. Uh, I, I love, you know, being an investor and I, We'll probably keep on doing that. I've tons to learn. I'm only two years into the journey. And you don't know, you know, for many, many years if you're a good investor or you're not. Hopefully, I think Fem Street grows further. And the idea would be at some point that I can start backing founders or at least diverse team coming out of the network and, um, yeah, supporting them. So I, you know, I built myself a, a brand around it. And I would, of course, you know, it would be great to leverage even further. And there's already a lot of deal flow coming out of it. And I think that's ultimately where it's going to lead to. But um, I'm definitely going to remain in the investing world um, for a foreseeable future. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, can I ask you a, a non-venture question? Yeah. Um, so in the U.S., everyone that I know and, and I live like in Manhattan, so I usually don't identify with the rest of the country that much. Um, watched the Oprah interview with Harry and Meghan. Um, was that something that it was just sort of a, 
American kind of like us all gaping at something or was that something people in London were interested in too? Oh, I definitely watched it with my boyfriend and he was very interested in it. So he had to see the whole thing with me because then he wanted to have the context to understand all the other videos around it on social. Um, so no, definitely. I think everyone was talking about it for, for about a week and then, you know, we stopped. Right. Um, so. And if the people there like, I mean, Meg, do they hate Meghan Markle? Do they hate Harry? Do they like him now? What, where do they start? Yeah, the media changed the perception of Meghan drastically around the time they got married. So people quite disliked her, I think. I followed the British media, the whole, um, you know, the whole Diana story for some time. So I think, um, you know, I'm trying to understand it from her perspective as well. So I think there are obviously different sides to the story. So I think it was nice to shine light on the other side. And um, I think they made some good choices and hopefully have a better life now. Yeah. Um, so last question, how much are you now kind of traveling, going back around Europe? And like, when, when do you think that point comes where uh, your old life becomes your normal life again? Yeah. Hopefully by June, July, it depends. But uh, I used to travel a lot, probably once a week. And I must say, I did enjoy just not, you know, spending most of my mornings on an airplane or twice a week. So it, it's actually been pretty good. And I think we also reconsider a lot of which type of events you actually have to attend, attend or when it's actually necessary to travel. Since most founders now are getting used to fundraising over Zoom. In-person meetings, I think, is something we, we shouldn't underestimate. I think the power of really in-person conversations and relationship building is a super important part of our job. And um, so I think, let's see how it plays out. I think there are a number of firms in London that are still completely remote and actually not taking face-to-face -face meetings. We have been a little more flexible and um, yeah, maybe also because we have a Stockholm and, and London or New York office, especially our Stockholm folks actually never worked from home because Sweden right. had a very little different approach. They, to, they kept going. Yeah, exactly. So for us, you know, we always had people in the office. That's great. Uh, well, Sarah, so how do people uh, who, who are interested want to learn more about Femstreet? Can they, where do they go? Yeah, just go to femstreet.substack.com or to follow us on Twitter. Cool. I encourage everyone to subscribe and uh, take advantage of the community. Yeah. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Gladly. Bye.